been in a series on Titus, supposedly. Uh, we've taken a detour, and we're trying to find our way back. This is going to be the last week of our detour, and then next week we're going to uh, work on finishing Titus chapter 1, and we'll be right back in uh, the routine of trying to get through that. Through about mid-late October, we're going to be in the book of Titus. But on our detour, we've been looking at what the New Testament has to say about elders. Uh, and Alice talked about the words elders and overseers and uh, the task of shepherding that God gives um, to elders in the church and to pastors. And so this week we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1-4. to 4. But I've got to set this up. It, it's so hard as a preacher dropping in the middle of a book and wondering, do we have the context for what this book is saying? 1 Peter is a hard book. Peter was very honest about how hard life was for the people he was writing to, and, and Peter was very honest about how hard life was going to get for the people he was writing to. He talks often about suffering. He tells them not to be surprised when trials come their way. He talks about suffering for doing what is right and good. I mean, he just almost he can't go a few lines without making his way back to what seems to be a reality to the audience of First Peter. So the question I had this morning was, what in the world do you do to comfort people who it just seems like suffering is staring them down from every side. Even the intro, Peter calls them elect exiles. How do you comfort such people? Maybe, I don't know if this is what Peter did, but maybe give them the most well-known of all the Psalms. Psalm 23. Listen to it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Shall goodness and mercy, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Yeah, I think if, if you're a suffering follower of Jesus, if you're a suffering disciple, I, I think that psalm, at some point in your life, has probably comforted you if you've known it. And I think for the audience that Peter was writing to here in First Peter, I think it was fitting to comfort them too. I want that kind of leader. I want that kind of shepherd. I want God to shepherd me in those ways. And rest to my soul. Yeah, I want that. And did you know, in God's perfect providence and sovereignty, he takes that same imagery of the shepherd, and he says, this is the kind of leader I want in my church. Did you know that? There's a lot of images he could have used. I mean, the Old Testament is full of kings, right? But nowhere in the New Testament do you see any charges for church leaders to work like kings. Because there's one. We see priests. No, we, we got we got a priest. We're, we're good. Go read Hebrews. We have one great, wonderful high priest. And actually, we're in a kingdom of priests now. We all get to relate perfectly to God. There's a lot of imagery that could be used for a leader, but God chose shepherd. And in 1 Peter 5, Peter's ending this book on suffering. And I read some commentary to say this week, it seems like 1 Peter should have ended in chapter 4. Like, why does he keep going? It's like he needs to give these words to the elders, to the shepherds of these churches. 
think it's because maybe he had Psalm 23 in mind. Maybe. Maybe he's thinking of suffering people. Maybe he's thinking of the kind of leader suffering people need in times of trouble, and suffering and hardship during trials. Maybe that's what he's thinking of here. But we can't get exactly into the mind of Peter. All we know is what exactly he did right here. And I would invite you to read with me in 1 Peter chapter 5, these first four verses. God's word says, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Colon. So he's saying, I'm exhorting you. I'm giving them a challenge. Here it is. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. God, open our eyes to see your goodness and Open up our hearts to receive the grace you want to give to us through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So God chose to use the imagery of a shepherd for church leaders. The main verb command in this passage is right there in verse 2. Shepherd. It's a verb. Now, a few words later, you'll see exercising oversight. Now, the ING tells you it's a participle that's modifying how you're supposed to shepherd. Welcome to English class. But it's good to know these things because God gave us a book with words. And doing things like uh, grammar can actually help us understand what God meant. So he's telling these elders, shepherd. And I think we see a few things about God's shepherd here in 1 Peter 5. The first thing is we see the shepherd's heart. You see what Peter, Peter could, have you ever read the opening of Paul's letters? We just did it with Titus a few weeks ago. Paul typically says, an apostle. I mean, he was an apostle. An apostle was an eyewitness, not only of Christ before his death, but specifically an eyewitness of the risen, resurrected Christ. That's why Paul calls himself an apostle uh, untimely, right? Because he saw Christ in a special way. Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus. Peter was an apostle. He'd been with Christ. But that's not what he appeals to here in 1 Peter 5. He, he actually, it seems like, lowers himself, if I can say that. And he's like, okay, I'm an apostle, but that's not what I'm going to say right here. I'm a fellow elder with you. Like, don't look at me as higher up. Uh, I, I'm, I'm an equal elder with you in this church. And he says, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And here's what I think we see in this first verse. We see the shepherd's heart. And, and the shepherd's heart is someone who has the past, present, and future totally defined by Christ. He says, I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ. I saw the sufferings of Christ. Now, Peter could say that literally. I think there'd be a little shame probably with Peter because he'd say, well, I didn't see all of it. You know, he told me I was going to deny him and I just thought he was crazy. And, and I did, though. And I walked away and I, and I didn't want to be associated with him because I was afraid of what might happen. To me, much less him. So, I mean, that's just a, a neat aside right there. The Bible does not elevate any heroes. If this was a book that's totally made up, they did a really bad job of deifying anybody. Because they're very open and honest about how 
messed up uh, people that should be believers are, and Peter's one of them. So he says, I was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, even if you're not an apostle, you weren't there in the first century. You didn't see them put Jesus on the cross. You didn't see them take his body down. You didn't see the resurrected Lord among the 500 numbered there after his resurrection. Are you a witness of the sufferings of Christ? Because the New Testament tells us that we can all be a witness because of the resurrected Lord Jesus' work in our own hearts today, almost 2,000 years later. The, the shepherd's heart is somebody who's totally defined by Christ. A, a pastor, remember pastor and shepherd? Okay, the interchangeability there. It's just the way that word got translated in Latin words and English words and Greek words. But pastor means shepherd and shepherd means pastor. Values and interchangeable to keep you on your toes. A pastor will love their church in direct proportion to how much he loves their Savior, Jesus. As you, as shout for church, you know, you hold the most authority here. Not a paid staff member in the coming months. We're going to uh, have elders be installed, do some bylaw changes we're excited to put forward. But, you know, even the elders won't have final authority. The congregation will have the final authority. You, because there's no one that is higher than you in your relationship with God. You. But did you know in the life of this church, you, you will have an opportunity to call a new pastor? You might have that opportunity multiple times if you stay at Shalom long enough. And I pray that you would never call a pastor who does not have Jesus as their primary life. Because whatever that pastor loves most is going to be the thing that that pastor serves the most. So if you want a pastor that's going to make something work and fix stuff and be practical and grow, 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 you need to find somebody who doesn't love Jesus, but somebody who loves maybe fame or platform or money. If you get a pastor who loves one of those things more than they love Jesus, the pastor will begin to sacrifice things to get the thing he loves the biblical portrait of a shepherd that we have here that Peter even begins to give us in verse 1 describing himself as somebody that's witnessed the sufferings of Christ in the past but also in the future is a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. A shepherd will only lead the church as well as he loves the church's Savior. That's the shepherd's heart. But we continue on to see the shepherd's calling. This is where we get to that that punch that Peter gives. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. First, shepherd is the shepherd's calling. The shepherd does not tend his own flock. Let's break the sentence down for a minute. Shepherd, verb, the flock. So what is he shepherding? The flock. But the flock, whose flock? What flock is this? The flock of God. You're not mine. You're not ours. You're not Matthews. You're not the elders. You're not the worship teams. You belong to God. You, you don't belong to me. You know, Titus 1, uh, verse 7, Titus calls the overseer as God's steward. It means you've been entrusted with something that doesn't belong to you. 
The calling of a shepherd is to lead something that doesn't belong to him. To love something that really he could just as well find himself numbered among the flock. Because the shepherd has this weird dual status where uh, you're a sheep. I never stop being a sheep as one of your pastors. Al, Matt, we never stop being a sheep. We don't own the church. We don't run the church. But the shepherd never tends their own flocks. Be weary of any pastor that uses the word my too much. My staff. My worship leader. My budget. My church. My people. My leaders. No. It all belongs to God. The shepherd's calling is to tend God's flock. But then look at the other way he modifies flock. Flock of God that is among you. I read a great book on pastoral ministry by a guy named Jared Wilson, who teaches at one of our Southern Baptist seminaries in Kansas City. His book, The Pastor's Justification, he talks about most pastors try to lead the church they wish they had rather than the one they really have. I wish my church was more one way. This isn't just a temptation for pastors, right? It's a temptation for you. You wish our church was more. And a lot of that's healthy and good. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book in the early 20th century. We're coming up probably on 100 years when he wrote this book. Called Life Together. And he talks about the wish dream. It's his 80-year-old version way of saying uh, vision. The vision that you carry for community cannot just be something that's better, that pulls you towards it and excites you. It can actually become a law that you hold up to every other person in your life and you say, no, not measuring up. My community's got to be this good. We're not vulnerable with each other enough. We don't see each other enough. We're not talking about this enough. We're not doing this. And all of a sudden, you're condemning everybody that God's put in your life to love because you have a wish, dream for community. Pastors can do the same. We can try to lead the church we wish we had rather than the one that God actually entrusted to us. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Implication, shepherds smell like sheep. Be wary of a pastor, and it might be me. I'm not perfect. It might be Al. It might be Matthew one day. That if we ever stop being among you, warning signs. God, what's he protecting? What's he hiding? Why does he... Is he higher up? Is he elevating himself? Is this a hierarchy now? No, the, the good shepherd is among the sheep. The good shepherd is smelling awful like sheep smell because he is among them. So we're shepherding not our flock, but God's flock. We're shepherding them by being among them. And I've got to say to you, church members, love the church commit to a church, I don't plead with you. See that you're committing to a people and not a list of programs. Those programs are going to come and go. They'll come and go with fads. They'll come and, grow, come and go with the seasons of the church. There may be seasons where certain programs are more fitting. We're in a season where our church has a lot of young kids. That means where our programming is going to look a certain way. So if you commit to this church because you like the programming, 
that your highest commitment is going to be the program you like. Would you please commit to the church among you? Let's commit to the people. Let's say, I'm committing to love you. I'm committing to love you. And it doesn't matter what program I get to see you in or what program comes and goes. I'm committing you for your good to walk with you, to love you, to disciple you so that you would disciple me and serve me and love me and know me. Let's love the church among us and not the church we wish we had. And last it says, exercising oversight. Oversight. I'm picturing walking up on a job site, which I know nothing about. I'm not act like I have a great history of manual labor. I don't at all. But I'm picturing walking up to a job site and the things in disarray hasn't finished, hasn't been done. You got guys kicking back at 9:30 for the lunch break, and nobody's really doing. And it's been going on for months. The job, and so the foreman comes and it's like, man, I need to come check on this thing. Surely they're almost done, and they show up, and it's like, who's overseeing this job site? Who's responsible for the lack of stuff that's been happening? Because you want to know who's supposed to be walking around going, hey, you, you got this part of the job. Is this going well? Do you have a problem here? Do you need some help fixed? Well, why is this not working? Hey, over here. Hey, Tommy, you said, hey, let me check on this aspect. And the overseer's walking around making sure. You know what the overseer do? He's seeing over it all. So how does a shepherd provide oversight? He knows his flock. In 1 Peter 2.25, in the past of suffering, Peter says, entrusting your soul, entrust yourself to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus. Jesus is our overseer. He watches over us. He keeps watch over you. He knows you. Intimately, personally, Jesus knows you. That's the shepherd's calling. Not tending our own flocks. We're doing it with the, the flock that's among us and we're overseeing the flock. We're knowing the flock. But next we see the shepherd's motivation. See, he gives some negatives in this passage. Shepherd the flock among you, exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. We see the shepherd's motivation. <laughs> that our motivation as shepherds should not just be an obligation. It should not just be a joyless duty. Now, I've been stretched uh, over the last couple of years because Lynn has a great story of when God called him to step into being an elder at their church in Illinois. And Lynn will expound on this story, I'm sure, uh, in the months and years to come as he uh, is a faithful leader here. But Lynn said, Quite a mess. And I, you know, first thing to agree says if anyone aspires, and Lynn was like, if we gotta really be careful how we translate that, because I didn't aspire for that. And I think there's one hand that's an unhealthy aspiration. Okay? So if anyone aspires, if you think I deserve that, why can't I? I mean, I come on, I can do this thing. But on the other hand, there's an aspiration that says, I'm not trying to thrust myself in leadership, but I aspire to follow God. I aspire to do the very thing he called me to do, 
even though I don't see how I'm equipped and I don't see how I'm good enough and I don't see, ultimately the aspiration to follow God is greater than the aspiration to say, I don't want to be a leader. And I think that's part of what Lynn was wrestling with. He said, I look, don't get me wrong. And he would, he would tell, he reminded us of this. People would say, you know, you're not doing a good job. And they let through some real conflict. And he would say, great. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to raise you up to be an overseer in this church. Because that's the only reason I'm here. That's exactly right. God raises you up. And our aspiration, our willingness and our eagerness is based on trying to please the one who calls us. Shepherd, the shepherd's motivation is to please the one who called them. It's not an obligation. Like, wow, I hate this place. It's not just a, a joyless duty. And it's also not for personal gain, which can come in many forms. We may think of greed. I, I know, I know a man who's a pastor who embezzled more than a million dollars in his church. That, that's a, those are real stories. Now look, that, that's a pattern in your life. Personal gain is not just I want money. There's money is serving things in your heart and in your life. Okay? So when it says for personal gain, for shameful gain, that could be status, that could be power, that could be I want human affirmation. I want to stand on the stage so people look at me and say, good job. There's a lot of ways that personal gain can manifest itself. And, and First Peter is saying the shepherd's motivation is one thing, to please the one who called you. To please the one who called you. Continuing this passage, you see the shepherd's example. You see that? Not domineering over those new charts, but being examples to the flock. Now this word example is pretty cool. Because it's a Greek word, tupos. My good word, type. It actually says being a type of Christ. Now, if you're a student of God's word, maybe you've heard that word type before. In the Old Testament, you see types of Christ. You see little examples, and you go, wait a minute, Jesus is like the truer and better Moses, the truer and better Abraham, the truer and better Joshua, the truer and better. So, like, there's these little mini examples that aren't perfect, but then you go, wait a minute, like, the priesthood is a type of Christ because. Christ fulfills the priesthood in a way better way. But in the priesthood, we see some aspects of what Christ is going to do that help us more fully understand Christ when he arrives. The Old Testament is full of types of Christ. And then here we have this word that says, not domineering over those new charge, but being types, being examples, being a mold or a pattern of Christ to your flock. Now, when I wait, wait a minute, how do I do that? Shepherds, on the one hand, are not God replacements. No pastor is meant to stand in the place of God. Pastors are not many saviors. The same Jerry Wilson I quoted earlier, he's, he's got this little exchange I've heard him do before. Somebody comes up and says, so you're the pastor? Yeah. So you're the guy with all the answers? No, I'm the guy that points to that guy. Now, I, I'm, I'm not Christ standing here, Okay. I mean, I want to confess with John the Baptist in John 1. That I couldn't figure out who it was. They kept saying, then who are you? You Elijah to come. Are you the Christ? Find the book out. Are you the Christ? He says, I am not the Christ. That's a healthy confession for all of us. And that's a healthy confession for pastors. Because as we set an example, we're not trying to say, look at 
me. I've got, I know what Jesus I've got this. Pastors and shepherds ought to live in such a way that when you look to a pastor, you see right through them to Jesus. A good example of Christ doesn't stop at the example. It's more like a Through the example, you see the truer and the better beyond. The shepherd's example were not, not the guy with the answers. The pastors are not the guys with the answers. The elders are not the guys with the answers. We had to point to those guys. The example of a shepherd is meant to point people to Jesus. And the last thing you see here about shepherds is you see the shepherds were rewarded here in verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown. Praise. We long to please Christ. When our task is complete, when we finish the race God laid for us, and we collapse through death into his arms, can you picture death that way? I guess I've always pictured like a paw. But, but death is like if you fall, and you say, I'm going to hit the ground. Before you hit the ground, you're caught in his arms because he waits on the other side of death. It's not Easter yet. I'm going to preach that sermon. That's getting me excited this morning. He waits on the other side of death. If you don't have somebody waiting on the other side of death, the only reward you have is on this side of death. That's all you You better live for here and now because you don't have anything beyond that. That's so sad. But Peter says the shepherd's reward lies beyond death. It's when the chief shepherd appears and we get an unfading crown of glory. So when we finish our task and finish our race and we collapse through death into his arms fully alive, he will be our reward. And then he will do forever the task we did imperfectly for a blip of eternity. We imperfectly for a blip tried to shepherd people. And he'll say, I, I got it now. Come on. I got it. Join the flock. And let me shepherd you perfectly. Green pastures, come. Rest for your soul, perfect, uninterrupted. That's the reward of the shepherd. Is that we so love and trust the chief, chief shepherd. Our work is merely to point to Christ. Teach, commend, trust, preach, learn, obey, follow Christ. We know we're not the perfect shepherds and we're not the ones who can perfectly keep watch over anyone. We can't save or sanctify anyone. We can't change anyone's heart. We can't protect anyone. But Christ can, so our job is So we've looked here, okay? The shepherd's heart and his calling and his motivation and his example and his reward. So I couldn't help but ask, what's the opposite of a healthy shepherd? Peter led me there because he kept giving all the negatives. Not like this, not like this, not like this. So I said, what's the anti-shepherd? What's the anti-shepherd? 
past with Christ and they don't live with the hope and future with Christ. In fact, they don't have any personal relationship with Christ at all. The concept of grace is foreign, so they're also foreign to boasting in their weakness. It's foreign to them to need help. It's foreign to admit failure. It's foreign to confess sin for the anti-shepherd. They don't need like a shepherd at all. They need like a cowboy. Speedily encircling the flock as if they were a herd of cattle forcefully driving them to the next destination. The group they lead is so far beneath them that they must be controlled. In fact, it's really inconvenience for these anti-shepherds because of how slow and ignorant their followers are. The anti-shepherd really sees their church as a business to be grown. The people who attend are like customers in the business. It's spirituality. The task at hand for these anti-shepherds is sell, sell, sell. Grow, grow, grow. They want to sell a version of religion that is palatable, easy to get down. It can make my life better. The religion they sell it's all about doing a little better, having the willpower to change, setting some moral guardrails, and enjoying the comforts of life. Their work is a joyless obligation because they have no love for their followers. They watch over their group of followers for their own good, rather than the good of the followers. But when you get down to it, they're really just in it for personal gain. Sometimes it's money, sometimes it's fame, sometimes it's just for people to like them. But every time, it's about their own personal gain. Anti-shepherds bully, overpower, and shame their subordinates to get them to act in the way that's most profitable for themselves. If an anti-shepherd ever in danger, they will gladly sacrifice their followers to protect themselves. The anti-shepherd's reward is not in the future. They are not patient enough to wait for that. Their reward is right here, right now. The money, the fame, the power, the control. That's the end.
shepherd protects himself at his flock's expense, but the chief shepherd protects his flock at his own expense. The anti-shepherd needs the flock to validate his life. You know, as, as high and mighty as the anti-shepherd wants to see, seem, as domineering, as narcissistic, as powerful, as big of a bully, he's really dependent on everyone around him to continually affirm his identity. Do you know what Jesus said, standing before Pilate? Are you the Son of God? not out to validate his own identity by any other way than the cross. The anti-shepherd needs the flock to validate his life, but the chief shepherd is life <laughs> and gives life to his flock. Jesus Christ is the chief shepherd. He's the good shepherd from John chapter 10. He laid down his life for the sheep. Acts 20, 28 tells us that he has bought the church with his own blood gives the perfect sacrifice for us, laying down his life in his self-sacrifice self pays the perfect price for our sin and separation from God. But more than just his death, his resurrection seals the fate of all sin, evil, and suffering and brokenness. He died and was resurrected so that when we are saved by him, we go through a death and resurrection, death to sin, and we get to walk in new life with God. Amen? Because of Christ's death and resurrection, as the good shepherd who said, I will go before my sheep and walk into the one place they can never walk out of, and that's death. And I will seal the fate of all sin, of all evil, of all suffering, of all brokenness. So that they can die to sin and be resurrected to new life in Him. See Romans 6 or Ephesians 1. Ultimate death no longer awaits us, only eternal life. This is our chief shepherd. Shalom Church will be ruled by one, and it is King Jesus. But if we don't point to Christ, we don't have Christ as our chief shepherd, then what do we have? What do we have? We looked at the anti-shepherd, and I actually got the idea from a counselor, a guy named David Powelson, and I learned this morning. David Pallison wrote what he called Anti-Psalm 23. We started by reading Psalm 23, and the great comfort that it gives. But what if you don't have the Chief Shepherd Jesus over your life? If you don't, this morning, have the Chief Shepherd Jesus over seeing and hearing your soul, then Anti-Psalm 23 is true. Listen to what David Pallison said. I'm on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense always restless. I'm easily frustrated and often disappointed. It's a jungle. I feel overwhelmed. It's a, it's a desert. I'm thirsty. My soul feels broken, twisted, and stuck. I can't fix myself. I stumble down some dark paths. Still, I insist. I want to do what I want, when I want, how I want. But life's confusing. Why don't things ever really work out? I'm haunted by emptiness and futility. Shadows of I, feel, I fear the big hurt and final loss. Death is waiting for me at the end of every road. But I'd rather not think about that. I spend my life protecting myself. Bad things can happen. I find no lasting comfort. 
facing everything that could hurt me. Are my friends really my friends? Other people use me for their own ends. I can't really trust anyone. No one has my back. No one is really for me except me. And I'm so much all about me, sometimes it's sickening. I belong to no one except myself. My cup is never quite full enough. I'm left Disappointment follows me all the days of my life. Will I just be obliterated into nothingness? Will I be alone forever, homeless, free-falling into void? Sartre said hell is other people, but I'll have to add hell is also myself. It's a living death, and then I die. Is Christ the shepherd of your soul this morning? You know, I had someone ask me this week about how we do you this morning and you've never placed your faith in Jesus. Did you know it's as simple as telling him I know I'm separated from you and I know I don't have life without you and I need you Jesus today. You know it's that simple? Tell him you need him today. So God please Father of Jesus, who are here this morning, God, I pray that you would encourage us to 
respond to God for it. I wonder how the human responds to it. If you do want to pray for somebody, Pastor Al and I are going to stand up to the side. So you can just make it, I mean, really obvious if you want somebody to pray for you, you can come ask us. Maybe today you say, I need to come and pray for Jesus. I think he's not the shepherd of my life. Or maybe you say, hey, I, I just, I want to know what it means to daily submit to the shepherd and follow him and have him care for me. Come pray, I don't have right in your seat. You can come right here and bow down on these stairs like they're an altar. And you can get serious before God. God, I need you in my life. I need the kind of shepherding that we learned about today from your word. I know I do. So however you need to respond to God's word this morning, do it. Don't 